Amen. Thank you. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. First Peter 2, the fifth verse. No service tonight as we're uh, celebrating Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy the time with your family. Baby Bottle Drive continues, goes through Father's Day. If you haven't received yours, they're out on the foyer table. Take it home, fill it, and return it again on Father's Day. Prayer meeting Wednesday at 7. Andrea's number there for the prayer chain. Financial note there, murder mystery on a train. Coming June the 7th in the Fellowship Hall, 6 o'clock through 9 p.m. Tickets are $7. Sign up today. This is the last day to sign up if you want to go so that they know how many are going to attend. Anything that I've missed this morning? Terry. The ladies are going to the Mennonite store and to lunch on this Thursday, and there is transportation available if anyone would like to go. No, they only can't come. <laughs> and are you the contact person for that? Uh, I could be. Okay. So if you want to go and you need transportation, talk to Terry. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Oh, right here in front of me. Days of Praise with the Sheeps on our here. That's June, July, August. And Acts and Facts. Genesis and the character of God. Picture of the Grand Canyon. Make sure you make good use of those. Take them and pass them on. Our scripture for meditation this morning is Ephesians, the third chapter, read 1 through 13.
Let's stand together and open our service in prayer. Dale, can I ask you to open for us? Take your brown hymnals this morning and <clears throat> turn them tune to number 501. 501 in the brown hymnal. And be thinking about for the, the next hymn, maybe a patriotic hymn, perhaps. But 501 right now in the hymnal.
I'm trying to ignore the hand I see already. Naomi, is that a patriotic hymn? Huh? Is it a patriotic hymn? Then that would be a yes. <laughs> what hymn is it, honey? The Battle Hymn of the Republic. What number is it? You don't know. It's 569 in the brown. 569 in the brown. Mrs. McLeod was ready for you. Why this one, Naomi? Because okay. 569 in the brown. 569. And she was guaranteed for me to pick her this time. That's why. Okay, 569 in the brown. You, you feel free to stand if you wish.
scripture reading this morning is 1 Peter, the second chapter, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 8, 1888 in the Pew Peter 2, 1-8. Therefore, rid yourselves of all makes malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every <clears throat> kind. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him in living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God, precious to him, you also, like living stone, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen precious cornerstone, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them t fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. your brown hymnal again and turn to number 410, 410 in the brown. <clears throat>
Our scripture text this morning is 1 Peter 2. First eight verses. In our last study together, we examined Peter's charge to grow up in the faith. Why? Because a baby forever is not normal. It's a sign that something is very, very wrong. I was also thinking this week that to remain a babe in the faith while going through persecution, as was the case with Peter's audience, opens up a person to all kinds of discouragement and uneasiness and fear and failure. It's the mature Christian that can weather the storm of persecution because he or she has learned from the word how to address the various issues that arise. We talked about the way to grow. The way to grow is to become a student who craves the word of God, not just one who sermon tastes, you know, just a little bite here, a little bite right there, but one who will ingest and learn as much as possible, particularly about Christ, who is the living word of God. And we close by talking a bit about the impediments to spiritual growth. Number one, we talked about lugging sin's load on the journey. You won't grow in your knowledge of Christ if you're always absorbed with the sin in your life in a wrong sense. Remember Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, he got nowhere in terms of progress until he came to the cross, and at the cross of Jesus, his burden of sin fell off of his back and rolled into the grave forever. Some people, I have to say, they think it's holy. Just keep dwelling on their sin all the time and beating themselves up. And, oh, I'm no good. And I'm a failure. And I can't do anything right. And on and on and on it goes. And I wonder if they know that the victory is in Christ. It's in his sacrifice. Because we are failures, right? We are in every way. And then we talked about tasting but not craving the unadulterated word of God. There are sermon tasters. Like the Athenians who gave Paul a forum to speak only so they could make him a laughing stock. Remember that? They wanted to ridicule him. They called him a seed picker. These little birds you see in the Kmart parking lot or wherever, just running under the cars, picking up whatever we dropped. And that it, it's a derogatory term to be. And that's what they accused the Apostle Paul of being. Oh, he just, he picks up what other people drop. He doesn't have any uh, original thoughts. You know, he's just a purveyor of old stuff that somebody else has come up with. People who are insincere in their inquiries will not grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. If their only task is to tear you apart as a Christian, and you know what I'm talking about, then I am very suspect that they're being honest in their inquiry. 
do they really want to know God or do they just want to put you down? Today we want to see that God builds his house despite all these impediments, even the impediments that our own flesh may throw against progress in spiritual things. He will have a house, and it will be populated by people who know him and love him. Hopefully that's you and me this morning. As we come to the study of God's word, let's give thanks. Thank you, Lord, for your opportunity to us. It is an opportunity. I know in America sometimes we think it as a right, a right. I have a right to worship. I have a right to my religion. But there are places in the world where it's not their right. And even in our culture, in our culture, there's the problem of having uh, people try to tell us what we should believe and what we are not to believe. I pray that you will help us work through all of that. We have to stand with Christ no matter what the world throws at us. Even sometimes our own friends and relatives. So bless us that we might be a blessing to you in Christ's name. Amen. Our subject today is the house that God builds. The house that God builds. The first point in the outline is foundation. All houses begin with a foundation. You say, well, that's that obvious. Well, yeah, but the kind of foundation is what I want to talk about. I would say in the foundation of any structure, though unseen, is the most important element in a building. Years ago, I was watching the construction of the new Walgreens Pharmacy in Lapeer, I was doing some banking, which is right next door. And I was fascinated by the fact that they had brought in large crane. And on a flatbed truck, there were these huge precast concrete panels. I'm assuming that each of them weighed tons. Then the crane would pick them up one by one and slide them into place. They had like a, a groove on the one side and the tongue on the other side. You slide them into place to create a wall. What began as one or two partitions in, on one morning within several days was a complete square box upon which a steel reel support could be fastened. And I got to thinking, where's the foundation? They're putting up these concrete walls where's the foundation did they just set those panels in the mud well, then I remember that weeks before they had had backhoes in there that were digging a trench and they were had a machine there that was driving I guess you call them pilings steel pilings down into the ground and finally on top of those they poured cement So in a week's time, all those panels 
covered all those steel pilings and all that cement. My point being that no one will ever see the foundation again, but it's there. And without the foundation to stabilize the soil beneath and give strength for the structure above, those concrete panels would just sink and sink into the mud. And at each and every uneven sink, there would be an erratic building would not be possible. You can't have one panel lower than the other and so forth. Well, God's spiritual house is no different. Your faith, my faith, everyone's faith is built upon something. There's a foundation for what we believe and what we practice. What is more, and this is true also, every pagan religion and cult in the world has a foundation for its beliefs and its practices. It's a fundamental truism that the tenets of what we believe are the outgrowth of an ideological substructure. Man-made philosophies, man-made religions build upon man-centered, man-invented, self-help, naturalistic presuppositions. In contrast, Christianity builds on God-centered, God-given, supernatural presuppositions. In our study, Peter has been addressing people whom he identifies as those who have experienced new birth, chapter 1, verse 3. Or in verse 23, people born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. They, though at one time enslaved to an empty way of life, empty because of sin, verse 18, are now very much alive to God and his will by the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. And they have been sprinkled By his blood, verse 2. And verse 19 says, By the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now all of this has occurred by God's electing grace, verse 1, in the person of Jesus who was chosen before the creation of the world, verse 20. Through him, verse 21, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. The Christian faith is founded upon God, and in particular, God the Son, of whom Peter says, verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Notice how he words that. Though you have not seen him, though you do not see him now. What is he talking about? He is talking about the unseen but ever-present foundation of God's house, Jesus Christ, which supports the superstructure. 
Every spirit-born believer who by faith is fastened to this foundation is added to literally tens of thousands of others as the house that God builds continues to grow through the ages towards completion. So what I'm saying is all houses begin with a foundation. Your spiritual house has a foundation as well. We have a hymn that emphasizes that on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. We're built upon the solid rock. So, there's a foundation for every house. Secondly, all houses have but one foundation. The Burj Khalifa building is the tallest building in the world, reaching a height, get this, of 2,717 feet or just over half a mile high. It has more than 160 floors, over 58,900 cubic yards of concrete, weighing more than 110,000 tons. All of this was used to construct the concrete, get it now, and steel foundation. Just the foundation. Which features 192 pilings driven down, Buried to a depth of 164 feet. Nearly 200 pilings, 164 feet driven down. It's located in downtown Dubai, which is in the United Arab Emeritus. Conglomerate of seven Arabic states located in the Arabian Peninsula on the Persian Gulf. Now the footprint of Burj Khalif is located in the downtown area. Do we have that up? Okay. In other words, the site for this tower building is located in the busiest and most expensive real estate market of Dubai. So every precaution was made to assure that the site selected would be able to accommodate the project. 380 engineers were involved. I don't even see how they... How do you get 380 engineers to get along with one another? But they had them. Some of you will remember the film version of The Bridge on the River Kwai. And in that film, the Japanese soldiers had chosen a poor location for the railroad bridge that they wanted to go across the river... And the thing kept failing. They couldn't get it built. So the British engineers, who were prisoners of the Japanese, they were charged to do the building. They finally convinced the Japanese uh, general to move the bridge to a different location across the river that would support the abutments in the piers. 
My point. Well, what's my point? Once construction is underway, you do not get the opportunity to change the foundation. It's one thing to move the location for a bridge over a river to a more suitable location after multiple failures proved the substructure of the river was faulty. But it's quite another thing to hammer out nearly 59,000 cubic yards of concrete once you've come up with the wrong place for the caliph over Dubai. No engineer would make such a blundering mistake on a $1.5 billion project. The engineers of the Dubai Tower were going to get one crack at constructing a strong foundation, only one crack at it. And my point is that all houses, or in that case a tower, have but one foundation. I want you to consider then what Paul said about the foundation of God's spiritual house. Let me read it for you. By the grace God has given me, writes Paul, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is... Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10 and 11. And in verse 16, he adds this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Wow, Paul is saying, I laid a foundation and you're built on it and don't anybody try to mess with the foundation. Don't try to change that. If you do try to change that, you're going to change the whole superstructure and you aren't going to be a part of it. That's pretty serious. If we don't get the gospel right, the people don't believe in and trust the right gospel message. They're not fastened to the foundation who is Christ. Now observe the connection with Peter in our text. After speaking about tasting that the Lord is good and enjoining his readers to crave more, he goes on to say, as you come to him, listen how he's wording this, as you come to him, The living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 6. 
I want you to observe the singularity of the foundation for God's spiritual house. Verse 4. As you come to him, right? Just one person. The living stone, singular, not many. Verse 6. A stone in Zion, again, singular. A chosen and precious cornerstone. And finally... He says, the one who trusts in him, they're again singular. So Peter's words agree with Paul's words that there's but one foundation for God's spiritual house who is identified as him, a living stone, a stone in Zion, a precious cornerstone, and finally the pronoun him once more. Singular, 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 singular. By the way, <clears throat> the Greek word here for stone is lithos, L-I-T-H-O-S in the Greek. Lithology is the study of rocks. Lithography is the process of printing by using a flat stone or metal plate receptive to ink. So a singular stone, as opposed to stones, plural, aggregate, used of the large stone used to seal the sepulcher, Matthew twenty-seven sixty. It's used of the millstone for grinding grain, Luke 17, verse 2. It's used of the massive building stones in the construction of the temple in Jerusalem, Matthew, 2, verse, Matthew 24, verse 2. It can be used as small stones too, but always as singular entity, not plural. That's our text, verse 5. You are like living stones, same Greek word, lithos, are being built into a spiritual house. Think of it this way. God, pebble by pebble, is placing us on the living stone slab, Jesus Christ. How significant. We believers as little living stones are fastened to the living stone that's the foundation and source of life for the rest of the building, the spiritual house. So, like Paul... Peter is saying that God has laid a foundation for a spiritual house which is singular in nature. The church does not have many foundations, only one foundation. It's not founded upon the teachings of many teachers, but one. And if we do not start here with the precious cornerstone set in Zion by God himself... We will surely err and end in ruin, which is the point of verse 7 and following. And may I say that's the defect in all religions. <laughs> it is. They have different foundation stone. Both Peter and Paul are warning us that it is but one foundation and that God has already set that in place. And that's why he says, you better be careful how you build on this stone if you want to see right results.
change the foundation, go ahead and change it. And you'll end up with a different Savior who is no Savior. Thirdly, the foundation determines the superstructure. Think about this. What is in the foundation will determine what can be built upon it. Ben, I get back to that magnificent tower in Dubai. That tower is patterned after the petal of a desert flower that has a letter Y appearance. I don't know if I could do it with my fingers, but it's like that. If you were to look at the side of that tower, you would see something like that. Why? A Y appearance. Strange thing. Well, think about this. A Y-shaped superstructure cannot be built on a rectangular-shaped foundation or a hexagonal foundation or a round foundation. No, it has to have a Y-shaped foundation, and so it does. Granted, the designers knew what they wanted in the superstructure, when they were going to build it, so they designed the foundation to achieve that goal. But the truth remains that the foundation, Y-shaped, determines what can be built upon it. In similar fashion, God is the designer and the architect of his spiritual house, and the singular stone he laid as the foundation was his son, Jesus Christ, verse 4, Chosen by God and precious to him. This foundation determines what can be built on it. And that's why Paul said, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. Okay, fine. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Don't mess with the foundation. And if you really understand the foundation that I have laid, is what Paul is saying, you'll be careful how you build on it. Paul got his blueprint for the church from God, even as Moses got his blueprint for the tabernacle from God. And since God is the one who set the foundation stone, he, the stone foundation, Jesus Christ, determines what can be built upon him. People don't, even the theologians, they don't take this to heart. Stop tinkering around with your philosophies of religion what you think will get a person right with God and all of those things. There's books and volumes on all of this. Start with Christ. Stay with Christ. Talk about the foundation. And see if what you're trying to say is man's way of salvation. How can a person be saved? Does it agree? Will it fit with the foundation? Or are you doing some kind of gymnastics that is ignoring or even denying the truth of Christ as the only foundation. Wow. People have a lot of different definitions of what the church is. 
You better start with a foundation. You better ask on what you're building your philosophy. So what may be built on Christ, what may become the edifice supported by the foundation. Verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He's saying this. A holy foundation requires holy stones or people to be built on it. Nothing unholy, profane, godless will ever be permitted to become a permanent part of the superstructure. But man does tries this all the time. Say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Uh-huh. Yeah, my, our, our faith believes in Jesus. The cults, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, we believe in Jesus. It's not the foundation stone that we find in the scripture. What is confusing to people is that, is, is that they see at times churchgoers, maybe even church members of the visible church, whose lives are in shambles because of known and unrepentant sin, and they have the title Christian, they have their baptismal certificate in hand, they're registered as a duly accepted member of such and such a church, they attend the services. They contribute money to the minority and ministry of others. But there is little that is about their priesthood or ministry. Their sacrifices are carnal, not spiritual. Their lives are contradictions to God, not in the least acceptable to God. But they're considered to be Christians. How can that possibly be? I think Simon Magnus, the sorcerer of Acts 8, is a classic example. He did all, can I say it this way? He did all the right things. Simon Magnus did all the right things. What did he do? He was attentive to Philip's preaching of the gospel. The text says... He believed and was baptized. Verse 13. He joined the church of Samaria. Right decision. Right actions. Obedience to the ordinance of baptism. A plus, a plus, a plus. Long comes Peter as a visiting apostle. And when Peter came and saw him. And observed him and his desire to buy, as it were, with money, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, your heart is not right before God. I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Acts 8, verse 21 and following. Say, Peter can't do that. Oh, yes, he can. He's an apostle. And they had insight that you and I do not have. And Peter saw into this guy's heart and he interpreted his actions and he says, you know, 
you're walking around here and you're saying you're a Christian and you're doing the, you're checking off the, the boxes. You join the church at Samaria, but your heart isn't right with God. So what I'm saying is you can belong to the church visible without ever being duly mortared in and made a part of the church invisible, the body of Christ built upon the foundation of Christ. You say, well, how do I know? Well, Paul's answer to the Corinthian church was this. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time, and I now repeat with, though I am absent, on my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him to serve you. Examine yourself. See whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Oh, unless, of course, you fail the test. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 2 through 5. Notice in our text, Peter talks about living stones being built into a spiritual house. Verse 4. What's a living stone? You know about coral reefs. Coral reefs, while not true stones, they produce calcium carbonate, which amassed together in shallow waters, can rip the bottom out of a boat. Many careless seamen have found that out. An article in Wikipedia writes, Coral reefs are argonite structures produced by living animal colonies found in marine waters containing few nutrients. In most healthy reefs, stony corals Corals, excuse me, are predominant. Stony corals are built from colonial polyps that secrete an exoskeleton of calcium carbonate. Reefs grow best in shallow, clear, sunny, and agitated waters. I think that's a great description of the living stones and how we're to thrive. Shallow, clear, sunny, agitated waters. Reading on. The accumulation of skeletal material, broken, piled up by wave actions and bioeroders, produces formations that support the living corals and a great variety of other animal and plant life. So what are the authors saying? They are saying that the stony coral below supports the living coral above. Christ, our foundation stone, below supports the living stones attached to him above. The foundation determines the superstructure. Being a member of the visible church is no assurance that you're a member of the spiritual house that God builds. So you need to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Well, that brings us then to a superstructure 
You don't have anything if you just have a foundation. Peter tells us that God has set a living stone, verse 4, as the foundation of his spiritual house. And onto this living stone, God builds living stones, plural, into a spiritual house. We have a stone for a foundation, and then he builds living stones on that. You and me. I want you to observe the word here for stones is the same word used of Christ. Living stone, verse 4, with a capital S, which we have been, have been seen designated as singular, an individual stone. But here Peter, in speaking of us, says stones, plural. So what gives? Well, the answer is this. Every Christian mortared into the wall of God's spiritual house is brought in in as an individual born anew believer. You are an individual entity brought into God's house. You have your name written in the roster of heaven. You're not lost in the soup, so to speak. You've been personally, you have been individually, Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Chapter 1, verse 1. There's purpose. There is structure for your life. Paul's counsel to Timothy. God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19 and following. What I am saying is, there's no mass influx of people into the body of Christ in the sense that floodgates of grace are open and the crowds just come pouring in and mass. No. Even at Pentecost, where 3,000 were added to the church at the preaching of Peter, the Bible explains, I'm reading now from Scripture, those who accepted his message. Were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Acts 2 41 and 42. So, what Luke is writing is that one by one, here one, there one, they came individually as repentant believers, drawn by God and added to his spiritual house. And when the count was all done, at the end of the day, there were 3,000 that had been added to the church of Christ. Say, well, that's really stupendous. Yes, it is. It's mysterious. It's the work of the Spirit of God, absolutely. But one by one they came. Now, having said that, once incorporated, 
once incorporated into the house, then yes, we become living stones, plural, collectively, part of the whole that God is building for his glory. And as such, we then have a collective function. In Ephesians 4, using the analogy of the body instead of a building, Paul nonetheless demonstrates how we function collectively in our calling. Here's what he writes. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, and from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Each part, what does that mean? Each part means it indicates a personal involvement. Though working for the growth of the entire body or building. Again, listen to Paul in the Corinthians on the gifts. He says there are different kinds of working, but the same God who works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given, what? For the common good. 1 Corinthians twelve six. He says in verse 12, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is, he says, with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Well, the same could be said if we're talking about the church as a building. Spiritual house, as Peter in our text. The spiritual house is comprised of many living stones, each added individually by God, but collectively they comprise the house that God builds. And so house here stands for people, stands for a particular kind of people. A holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Paul tells every believer in Romans 12, verse 1, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what you're to be doing. This is Peter's point in our text. The sacrifices that we offer to God as living priests in his house are not simply things we bring to God, but rather we ourselves sacrificing unto God all that would mark us as unbelievers, disingenuous and false. We sacrifice or give up these particular sinful traits when we become part of the family of God. So the superstructure is comprised of believers, verse 6, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Or again, verse 7. Now to you who believe this stone is precious. Jesus was precious to the Father. Because he laid down his life as the foundation upon which to build the house. And he's precious to every believer 
who has come to life by his gracious forgiveness and miraculous power. Now what are the consequences of refusing to build one's spiritual life on Christ? And here's where we're at in terms of a law of religions in the world. Well, number one, rejecting Christ changes the relationship from foundation stone to capstone. Look at verse 7. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. A foundation stone is a stone for building upon, right? Okay? It lifts you out of the mud. It sets your feet on a solid footing. Christ is the stone of beginning, the rock solid, who can become the starting point of a new life characterized by freedom from sin, by joy, by peace, by anticipation of the coming and rule of Christ. On the other hand, think about this, a capstone is the final stone that's laid on a building. It signals the completion of what has been built. We don't start with capstones. What he is saying is, is if you miss Christ, worse, if you do not believe in him, verse 7, your spirituality, so-called, will be a shambles and a hodgepodge of various platitudes and religious sayings that ring hollow and false every time. Worse, God's house will be built without you, and completed with you on the outside looking in. In the Revelation, Jesus put it this way, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha, the foundation stone, and the Omega, the capstone. I'm the first. I'm the last. The beginning and the end, I'm reading scripture. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gate into the city. Outside are the dogs. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Revelation 22, verse 12 through following. Jesus put it this way, whoever acknowledges me before men, that's in the here and now, I will acknowledge him before the Father in heaven. That's in the then and there. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. What begins here carries on or will last into the future eternity. So, if you don't have Christ as your foundation stone for what you believe, you're in trouble. Secondly, rejecting Christ changes the relationship from foundation stone to stumbling stone. It's not just that we're building on wrong things, we're actually stumbling when it comes to the truth of the gospel. Look at verse 8. 
a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. I don't think there's any middle ground with Jesus. You're either a believer or an unbeliever. You're a living stone, productive in his spiritual house, or you're a skeptic and a cynic denigrating him and his grace. You're either founded upon Christ, growing with all the other brethren in the house, or you're stumbling over Christ and you fall every time he's proclaimed in the gospel. Of course, my question is, why would anyone stumble over Christ? Think about this. How does anyone develop such a callous, indifferent, vile opinion of God's Son whose only work was to rescue sinners from the wrath to come by placing himself in harm's way and taking God's wrath upon himself. Yeah, that's a reason to stumble over Christ. I'm being facetious. Verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. How does a person disobey a message? Well, the gospel is a message with commands from God. It's not passive. It demands a response. Paul, in confronting those know-it-all Athenians, challenged their wrong ideas of God, that God was an image made by man's design and skill. In other words, an idol. Acts 17, verse 29. But here's what he, he said to them. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Hey, Athenians, listen up. Yeah, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising that man from the dead. In other words... That man is alive and he's going to be your judge. The Athenians, indeed all men, are commanded to repent, to change their view about God. and They're to come to God. God's way. What's God's way? It's through the redemption of the cross. That's the gospel message. God wants people to come to him. But you've got to come the right way. You can't skip the foundation. You can't tear out the foundation and put, it down, put down another one. That's what Paul is saying. I've laid the foundation. Your job is to be careful how you build on it. Don't mess with the foundation. But that's what people do. We need to know this. There are two destinies that face all men, to believe and obey the gospel message or to disbelieve and disobey the gospel message. Both are of God's ordination, but pray this morning that God has set his sights on you as he did with Peter's audience, verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. Cornerstone or capstone? What is Jesus to you? Is your spirituality built on Christ, the solid rock, like we sing? Or are you so indifferent, so unresponsive to the gospel message that God is building his house without you? In the end, you will finish the house with you on the outside looking in. I don't want that for anyone here. To reject the gospel is to reject the Savior who's held out in the gospel commands as the only Savior there is. Paul put it this way, there is none, no name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Our Lord, please help us to see. We can't mess with the foundation. And that means if we have it right that Christ is the foundation, then what we build on him, what we say about him and the salvation he provides cannot violate the very nature of Christ. But that's what the religions of the world do. If they give some token acknowledgement to Jesus, they mess with him in terms of how they view who he is and what he has accomplished. And on that basis, they build their own religion and make Christ out to be what they want him to be so they feel good about themselves. Help us not to do that. Let us take what God has said about Christ the foundation and what Paul has said that we need to be careful how we build on him. We ought not to be saying things about salvation, eternal life, or any of the other things that deal with Christianity. We ought not to be saying things that violate what the foundation stands for. The superstructure does not get to change the foundation. We are to be in agreement with. We are to be in conformity with the foundation. And yet, and yet, Lord, every cult, every lying heresy known to man messes with the foundation. They change the biblical view of Christ. Everywhere from making him just a man, just being a good prophet, and on and on it goes, but not to be the way, the truth, and the life, the only way in truth and life to come to God. Lord, help us to take your word at face value. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn is from the hymnal. And we're at 404. This is uh, probably the best song I could find. We're talking about a foundation. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, he's the solid rock. Everything else is sinking sand. Let's stand together and sing 404 in the brown hymn. We're going to do the first three verses with the instruments, and then the last verse they're going to cut out, and we're going to do it a cappella. We're going to do the first three verses with the instruments, and then the fourth verse we're going to do it a cappella. concept of Christ is the Christ that's found in the Bible. That Christ is the solid rock. What a wonderful thing to think about. Not only our soldiers that have given their lives to provide freedom for our country, but I I always like to think of the martyrs of the Christian faith. 
that gave their lives for the integrity of the gospel and the refusal, a refusal to recant their faith, even though under great persecution, they wouldn't lie about Christ, even to the point of death. Though the religious leaders and the political leaders pressured them to change their story, change their message, they would not do it. There's a bravery, brethren, that has benefited all of us. Have a good day. Think of those spiritual things. Amen. Thank you.